This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We have seen some great successes with initial stock offerings coming from the tech sector, and we've also seen some failures as well. The latest one, we'll wait and see how it goes, would be Dropbox, the online file storage site. It's valued itself at between 7 and $8 billion and will be the largest IPO since Snap one year ago. But as Dropbox gets ready, you may also have Spotify getting ready to warm up in the bullpen, as it were, getting ready for its own IPO. Joining us to discuss this and more are David Sue, who is an entrepreneurship and innovation coordinator here at the Wharton School. He's also a professor of management. And also joining us on the phone, Jay Ritter, who's an eminent scholar in the Department of Finance at the University of Florida. David, great seeing you again. Good to see you, Dan. Thank you. Jay, great to have you on the phone with us. Thank you. So, Jay, I'll start with you. What's your expectations with this IPO? I think it's going to have a fairly positive reception by the market. Uh, Dropbox is a successful company. Uh, Revenue is growing. Uh, The losses are declining. It's cash flow positive. Uh, There's a a lot of positives about the stock. David? Yeah, I think there's a lot to like. I think that uh, this is a company that's around 11 years old. It's a great story of the founder of the company remains on to be CEO, taking it public. It's a brand that's known to many consumers. I think one of the big challenges, though, of course, is this uh, cloud storage space for the enterprise, for the business model that they're going after. They're not the only game in town, and so they're going to have to convert the uh, proceeds of this offering and to really try to get further into the enterprise space, go after those paying customers. True Houston is the man you're talking about. And uh, I saw a video of him the other day from a while back, and he talked uh, about several years ago about the fact that Apple wanted to uh, to, to purchase that company even before they had gotten into iCloud. So it makes me wonder if, you know, going public like this, it, does that influence the potential of more suitors coming forward to want to purchase Dropbox in your mind? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a, a, a first pass at that. I, I, I don't think it's a secret that cloud storage is a valuable service. I think these companies are trying to race after the enterprise and collaboration software. So it's not just the simple storage, which, you know, everyone's got more and more devices. That's a very, that's a a nice convenience to be able to access all of your files anywhere. But I think where many of these companies like Box and others are going after is the really kind of breaking into the collaboration space and moving beyond simple cloud storage. So my interpretation of this event is not, you know, they're coming out from under the radar screen in terms of this secret space uh, called uh, cloud storage for documents. I think it's a move to try to harness more financial capital to try to really uh, go after more of the paying customers in the enterprise space, in specifically the enterprise collaboration space. Jay? Uh, I agree with that analysis. Uh, Dropbox is a viable standalone company, uh, but there are potential synergy gains either from uh, making acquisitions or from being acquired. When you think about the idea, though, behind doing something like like Dropbox, Jay, I I mean, this was a a pretty – 
uh, you know, landmark idea to be able to do all this type of storage in the cloud to begin with. Uh, right, but uh, Dropbox was not the only company that came up with the idea, and this is a fairly mature area now. Uh, there's not, uh, unlike the dot-com bubble of uh, 1999 and 2000, where a lot of companies went public with unproven business models, uh, Dropbox, as well as its competitors, have a proven business model where there's substantial uh, consumer and business demand. So is that valuation of 7 to $8 billion a fair number in your mind, Jay? Because I've, I've read... Some have, you know, estimates have said upwards of ten billion. I've seen, you know, less than that seven to eight billion number. What are your thoughts? When compared with uh, competitors like Box, uh, the valuation is uh, somewhat conservative. Uh, Dropbox uh, it has a big market share. Uh, it's got over a billion dollars of revenue. It's cash flow positive. Uh, it, you know, whether the whole sector is overvalued or undervalued, only time will tell. But compared with the competition, it's very reasonable. And uh, there's the potential for some substantial upside when it goes public. David? Yeah, I, I largely agree. Kind of tying your previous question and this one together, at the time Dropbox started, they were not the pioneers of this yeah. idea. They're already probably 20 or 30 okay. companies that had recognized this entrepreneurial opportunity, what set apart Dropbox is the simplicity, really customer-facing. And this is very interesting because Box starts from the enterprise space, migrates a little bit you know, over to the consumer space a little bit. Yeah. Dropbox going in the opposite direction. And if you think about it more broadly, there are many companies out there like Apple, like others, who do not pioneer product categories, but make it much more user-friendly. And I think it remains to be seen with regard to valuation, how much the market values a much more simple service while recognizing some of the things that are mission critical for enterprise like security. So when you talk about the differences between them having a variety of people on the consumer side in comparison where they want to go on the enterprise side, what's the multiplier you know, consumer times 10, consumer times 20 in terms of the, the value and the revenue that they could potentially be bringing in, in your mind, David, uh, if they can really harness the enterprise side. Yeah, I think that uh, is what remains to be seen. But what I like about this offering is that they've really built up a reputation. I'm now talking about Dropbox of the user friendliness, and, and that's well known. Yeah. They have a, in the consumer space, they have just a really a drop in the bucket with regard to paying customers. They're trying to really been shifting the organization to really convert more of the enterprise customers. Now, of course, they had a couple snafus on the security uh, early on, but I think that your recognition that this market could be much bigger and uh, much more user-friendly as applied for the enterprise space, that could really open up this category in a much more broad way and get consumers paying for a product like this. Jay? It's so simple to use that I'm able to use it. 
Uh, you know, and that uh, says a fair amount. Uh, I generally shy away from things that I only use occasionally, where there's kind of a steep learning curve, and uh, uh, the setup costs are, are big. But uh, Dropbox makes it very easy to get started. You know, even if you're not using it every day. There's another side story to this that I wanted to touch on, and it involves the SEC and the filing of the paperwork by Dropbox. And it's about uh, some changes, I guess, the SEC brought about uh, with uh, last year at some point in terms of confidential filing of paperwork for these IPOs. And I guess that had been something that I guess had been reserved to a degree for startups. But now the SEC, uh, Jay Clayton, who uh, was at Sullivan and Cromwell in New York City before, uh, he really wanted to push the idea of making some of these this paperwork being able to be filed confidential, hopefully, hoping, I guess, so that more companies would potentially come out and look to go public. Yeah, to, to be specific, uh, because Dropbox has revenue of over a billion dollars, it doesn't qualify as an emerging growth company, which uh, had been the uh, requirement for confidential filing. Uh, but Dropbox uh, was able to file confidentially uh, and keep things under wraps for uh, you know possibly two months before their documents just became public. What does that mean then going forward for other companies that would that would fall into that category, Jay? Uh, it, it, it's attractive for companies. Uh, it it uh, allows them to keep information out of the hands of competitors uh, for a couple of extra months. Uh, and some companies that start the process of going public uh, never complete it and never have to make those documents public. Uh, it's uh, something that companies find very attractive. Where is really the big revenue stream for them right now? For Dropbox, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, David, I'll let you handle that. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, I think about it much like a Apple type of strategy, right? We know that Apple makes most of their money from the iPhones. Meanwhile, they have this other product that had lagged, namely their their uh, Macs. And I think the strategy of an Apple was now that you know our iPhone, you're used to the user interface, you know how the system works. Why don't you start thinking about this? Our other products, Mac, and all the other uh, products, the watch, uh, the HomePod, et cetera, et cetera. You get used to that ecosystem. Similarly, I think for for a company like Dropbox, you know us with regard to a reputation for dead simple. It just works, right? Yeah. Now we're going to try to introduce collaboration software to make the task in the enterprise space of working in teams virtually and staying uh, very recent in terms of your documents, we're going to make that easy as well. And so I think it's this strategy where you already know us and like us. Now let's try to upsell you to our other products. And to the extent that they work well together, your kind of personal Dropbox together with your work collaboration uh, Dropbox. Now we want you to, to pay some modest fee or have your yeah. institution or organization pay some modest fee. I think that this is the road to try to make uh, this, you know, this new era of software as a service, cloud services, et cetera. It's no longer the case that 
cloud storage is the premium product. That's now commoditized. So as these companies move upstream in terms of value added and getting into the enterprise, they're going to have to start working on the simplicity, leveraging their brand, and increasing the functionality for 21st century 21st century collaboration and teams. Which it sounds like it's a little bit of an interesting take on something we've talked a little bit about on the show is that you want to simplify it for the consumer, the company, whatever it might be, because the relationship with that person or that company is going to be the, the, the end route to being able to get them to spend money on your particular product. That's right. Yeah. There's also the aspect that uh, the revenue is largely recurring revenue. Uh, it's not a company like GoPro that sells cameras where somebody might buy it, but there's no guarantee that you're going to be getting repeat sales or right. more customers. Uh, with businesses like this, uh, the churn rate is uh, one thing to pay attention to uh, in terms of uh, – how many customers continue to use the service year after year and pay for it uh, versus those that uh, decide that after using it for a while, they don't like it. Uh, that's a problem with um, the Blue Apron, the uh, meal delivery service, for instance, where they've got a very high churn rate. I think that's a nice point. It becomes quite a substantial barrier to entry in the face of many competitors coming into the space. The motivation at the at the organization or user level to switch teams is heightened. Uh, I'm sorry, the barrier to switch teams is heightened because of that kind of recreation of the experience. So, in the absence of these formal subscriptions like you know Amazon Prime, et cetera, yeah. what can companies like Dropbox or others do to make it more sp sticky? And I think this subscription-based business model is a move in that direction. 844-942-7866 is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions about Dropbox, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, I mean, seemingly, if they're able to tackle some of these things, David, the, the potential of, of Dropbox being a company that gets snapped up by another entity, I think that goes lower. It, it makes they have more strength to be able to, to stand alone on their own two feet as they have, you know, uh, pretty much for the last uh, last decade or so. Correct. Yeah, I think that this um, what you're pointing to is why go public now? You know, the private markets have shown that there's a lot of cash in the private equity markets. And yes, they are raising $600 million. That's not a drop in the bucket. But one trend that we've seen is companies, startup companies staying private longer. And in addition, the market for acquisitions of startups is much more um, important relative to, the, relative to the going public. And so the question in my mind that I'd actually like, love to get Jay's perspective on is why this moment? Is it a move to try to deepen their, their product and get more kind of firmly embedded because they are knowing that the uh, latent competitors out there, Amazon, et cetera, could come in 
and really be formidable competitors? Or, you know, how do we interpret this this action of Dropbox going public at this moment in, in time? Yeah. A couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, while the IPO will probably be raising about $600 million, about one-third of that is going to selling shareholders. Uh, the company will be raising uh, about two-thirds of that, $400 million. Uh, but even though they're reporting losses, they're cash flow positive because of the fact that, that people pay for the subscription before the year or, or the month that they're, they're using it. So they actually have the revenue coming in uh, before uh, people use the services. Uh, and, and that upfront money uh, results in a situation where even though they're not currently reporting profits, uh, they're not burning cash. Uh, in, in terms of uh, going public now, uh, some of the uh, existing shareholders uh, would like to cash out uh, to have a liquidity event, and certainly for employees, including executives, uh, being able to sell some of the stock either now or when the lockup expires uh, does uh, allow them to convert some of their paper profits into uh, uh, freely spendable cash. Uh, one other aspect uh, that, that uh, I want to mention is uh, in 2014, they did a private round of financing that gave the company a valuation of what's been reported as $10 billion. And now they're talking about uh, going public at a valuation a little bit less than that, uh, something in the vicinity of $7 billion. Um, the, for the that ten billion figure, uh, it, as with other unicorns, it's an overestimate of w what the private market was actually willing to pay. In that, the late round in investors were getting various protections that the earlier investors and employees with stock options or restricted stock didn't have, right. and and so uh, those extra protections increase the value that the late round investors were getting and and that tends to overstate the value of the company. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call if you'd like to join in. We go to the phones in San Ramon, California. John is on the line. John, go ahead, sir. Oh, hi. Uh, I have a question about the competition. So there's uh, not so well established competitors out there like Box and also um Microsoft has a, a similar product that, that does exactly the same thing that Dropbox does. So uh, can you comment on that? Yeah, I'll take a stab at that. I, I once, uh, in uh, the entrepreneurship class here at Wharton, taught the Dropbox case, and I pulled this, my students a couple of years ago, how many people actually pay for yeah. services like this, and almost no hands. Why? Because there's so many competitor products out there. And so my students would go up to the, right before the storage limit of Google, of Microsoft, of Dropbox, of Box, and just stay unpaid uh, customers. They loved the convenience, but they just didn't want to pay for sure. it. So I think this question that you have is right on, which is how can we differentiate ourselves? Yes, we know that we have more and more devices, we have, we're trying to store store uh, media that is increasingly large. Think videos, your million photos, et cetera, et cetera. 
But storage in the cloud by itself is becoming quickly commoditized or if it's not there already. And so that, I think, is the impetus behind my comments of trying to migrate up this value chain, thinking about the distinctive value added that individuals or organizations uh, may be willing to pay for and will be perennially sticky, as Jay mentions. And that is simply not where to store your stuff up to a certain limit and it's this arms race at, from the different competitors in terms of how much storage to allow for free. Jay? Uh, I'm actually a paying customer, and that's because uh, a friend uh, posted some video uh, to, uh, of us on vacation together, uh, which exceeded the, the free storage limit. Uh, and uh, if you're just uh, posting uh, some photos, uh, having multiple accounts uh, that are all free at uh, various competitors works fine. Um, it's the case that for Dropbox and all of the competitors, uh, storage keeps getting cheaper and cheaper as well. Uh, so in one respect, uh, I would expect competition to result in uh, the companies expanding the, the free storage limit over time, just as with telecom. Um, you know, as older people remember when you had to pay for long-distance telephone calls before the technology changed to be able to make everything free. Uh, and with, with storage, uh, the cost of storage have come way down over time, uh, and that trend is continuing. John, thanks very much for the call. Greatly appreciate it. 844 Wharton is the number to give us a call, 844 942 7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Again, 844 942 7866. Or on Twitter, at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Orlando, Florida, Kyle is on the line. Kyle, go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to ask if uh, the data centers are protected against high-energy magnetic pulses, also known as hemp, uh, which is a pulse that occurs when a large nuclear weapon is aerially detonated. Um, well, I'm trying to get an answer out of all of the uh, data storage people, and I can't. All right. Thanks very much, Kyle, for the call. Uh, well, unfortunately, that particular question goes beyond yeah, the scope my, of, my yeah. knowledge uh, yeah. of the I, I have to admit, I don't know the answer to that, but that, that's actually a very good question. Uh, I teach at the University of Florida, not far from Orlando, and uh, th th this is actually one of these low-probability risks that I have actually worried about more than most people. You know, there's this, this normal psychological bias that people don't think about the risk of some event that has never happened, right. even though there is that, that risk there. It's difficult to uh, quantify uh, that. Uh, an electromagnetic pulse uh, could potentially fry the U.S. electrical system for months or yeah. longer uh, to get things restored. And uh, I, I'm not a survivalist, but uh, I did, my wife and I did decide to uh, stockpile a, a little more non-perishable yeah. food uh, just in case of an event like that. <laughs> Jay, thanks very much for joining us today. David, great seeing you again. Thanks for coming great in. To see you. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.